Welcome back to Coffee and Cannabis. It's the show where I interview professionals, researchers, and thought leaders in the cannabis space to help bring you deeper insight into who these individuals are and how they're shaping the cannabis industry. In this episode, I'm interviewing Len May. Len is the CEO of biotechnology company Endocana Health. Endocana Health takes your DNA sequence and gives you customized, personalized cannabinoid formulations. Yes, it is as cool as it sounds, and yes, we're going to get all the way into it. In the episode, we talk about how people can get vastly different experiences with the same strain and how it all has to do with your epigenetics and your DNA. We talk about where the terms indica and sativa even came from, what it means now, and how we may approach a new system of calling things indicas or sativas. We also talk about the pharmaceuticalization of the cannabis industry and how tough it is that the FDA wants to approve synthetics, even though they're not quite as effective. Tune in for all of this and more. All right, Len, uh, again, hey, thanks for joining Coffee and Cannabis. I'm uh, glad to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I actually, I don't want to advertise anybody here, so I'm going to hold it over, but I have my coffee and uh, <laughs> I did have my, and my cannabis as well, but I took it in a, in a capsule form. So I'm also not advertising company, but I'm just showing you that I, I have both those uh, Excellent. features. I'm glad you came in theme for the show. <laughs> and what kind of coffee are you drinking? Uh, it's just a latte with some coconut mm. milk. Nice. That's it. Not, nice. Not hey. fancy. It, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> um, so, Len, just just to give kind of everyone an introduction um, about who you are, you, you've got a pretty interesting story about how you got involved in cannabis. Uh, I'd love love to hear the long and the short of it. Well, so I was born in uh, Lithuania, and uh, my parents immigrated when I was like six years old. Uh, I lived in Philadelphia most of my life, and uh, I'm the kind of uh, kid who would sit in class and my mind would sort of drift. And I have these uh, windows that would open my head and I would start focusing on different things and I get diagnosed with ADD. Hmm. So I was put on all kinds of different prescription medications for that. And uh, when I started taking that prescription medication, uh, you know, some of it worked, like it helped me focus, but all made me feel like shit. And uh, I was hanging out with some older kids, before school and they kind of uh, said, hey, do you wanna you wanna smoke a cigarette with us? I was like, yeah, man, I'm gonna be one of the cool kids. Sure, I'll smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I started dabbling in cigarettes, you know? I'm like, okay. And then uh, it's it's like one cigarette, right? So somebody got a cigarette and they pass it around, it comes to me, I take a drag, because I already know how to smoke a cigarette, of course. And I inhale it and I start coughing and it didn't taste like a cigarette. Like, mm-hmm. oh, so they took cannabis uh, weed and they put it in a cigarette and that was uh, that was my introduction. And I went back to class, but this this thing happened to me, like the windows in my head, they started narrowing in and I could mm-hmm. sit there and focus. Not that I was interested in anything that was being taught anyway, but at <laughs> least I could un- pay attention to it somewhat. Right. So it became my go-to medicine. And that was my, my sort of introduction, my journey. Not saying that I wouldn't consume it you know, recreationally too. I, mm-hmm. That would just became my, my thing. I enjoyed it. I liked it. And at some point I got older and I was like, you know what? This is my medicine. And I stopped taking all prescription medication. This became my go-to. Wow. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, that was it, man. I said, this is my, my, med- my medicine. That's sort of my my introduction to it. But mm-hmm. the, real, the real, I think, uh, aha moment that I had with cannabis is when I had 
uh, I used to be the president of the Cannabis Action Network. So I was a, an activist okay. for legalization. And I held mm -hmm. a rally at Independence Hall in Philadelphia where the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, all that stuff, Liberty Bell, people mm -hmm. would know uh, what that is. And uh, my mm -hmm. keynote speaker was this lady, Elvi Masika. And uh, LV was one of the first people to get uh, federally prescribed cannabis for her degenerative glaucoma. So she opens up her tin with a USDA label, lights up a joint, and a federal, you know, federal, uh, uh, this federal land. So you have uh, rangers there and all that stuff. Nobody did anything to her. But mm. we moved back to my house. Everybody slept over my house afterwards. And I was dating this girl who was uh, an artist, and she created a sculpture in my house. And everybody's sleeping, all of a sudden we got woken up to a loud noise and LV walked into the sculpture and broke it into pieces. And I was like, oh, but she was blind. She couldn't see, she was, mm. until she medicated with cannabis. So this was my moment where I know it works for me, but mm. I saw somebody right in front of me who mm. completely couldn't see anything. Like, mm. you know, she still wore glasses and everything, but sure. that relaxed her, uh, her nerves and muscles enough where she was able to, uh, to see and help her glaucoma. So that's sort of my entry into into the cannabis world as as medicine or therapeutic product. Right, right. And seeing that, you know, people do have really unique but and different medical benefits that they get from it, right? Um, right. And for you, you saw even for yourself for ADHD that you you were you were finding that you said it was it was honing in a little bit. It was it's you know circling in on what you should focus on. Um, and did you find so th that's a really interesting topic it could, because you also said that, you know, you found that the other medication didn't work. I I'm curious as if you think, you know, cannabinoids um, can be used as med medicines for, for ADHD and other, other neurological disorders. Well, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So the thing is, it's really interesting because you have so many different components in the plant. Mm -hmm. And not everything was working for me. I just didn't mm -hmm. know the difference. I'm like, right. uh, you know, for us, it was like, if you don't get any seeds and stems, you're, you're getting some good weed and that's fine. But mm -hmm. as, as cannabis became better, like we started getting some BC, like from British Columbia mm -hmm. kind of uh, bud here and there. And I was like, oh, all right, there's better quality, but still trying to figure out what it is that works was really, really complicated. Uh, until I started really, you know, diving deeper into it. But uh, to mm. answer your question, there are a bunch of different genetic predispositions uh, mm -hmm. that are associated with ADHD and uh, mm. PTSD and stress reactivity and anxiety mm. and mm. depression and depressive states and all that stuff. Mm. And cannabis has been shown in uh, in studies that it's really effective and not only in studies and anecdotal evidence that we've had from mm. thousands of of people right. who use you know our service for instance and uh, our product there are genes that are associated with that and, and if we can sort of focus in on a genetic a variant um mm. one of specifically has to do with this uh, gene called fa right mm -hmm. so f-a-h mm -hmm. so it's the fatty uh, acid um amide hydrolase that's what uh that's what it stands for but what it does it breaks down anandamide mm. so what happens in some people is uh think about it this way we produce anandamide uh, as our endogenous endocannabinoid and uh, 
you and your audience, I'm sure, knows we the it's called an anime. The word anon means bliss in Sanskrit, so it's our bliss hormone. And when we consume THC, it sort of it binds to the CB1 receptor and it mimics the way an anime works within our bodies and in our in our central nervous system and our brains. Uh, so what happens is some people produce more fa than the average uh, population than other people, mm-hmm. and when that happens, they produce less anandamide. So they are much more prone to stress reactivity and longer stress reactivity. So an example of that would be for somebody that's sort of correlate and uh, uh, say somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? Mm-hmm. So all these chemicals are starting to get pumped into your bloodstream. You get adrenaline, you have the dopamine, you have norepinephrine, you have cortisol. It's all being pumped into your bloodstream. And then when you realize that you're uh, that there's no lion chasing in the jungle or a saber tooth tiger, uh, then your body starts getting back to normal. One of the one of the reasons why we have an endocannabinoid system is maintain homeostasis, maintain that balance. So it starts mm-hmm. releasing these other chemicals to be able to subsidize for the release of that other chemical that we don't need anymore, right? So it's uh, help to reuptake that uh, chemical mm-hmm. and then get you back to balance. And does it by releasing endogenous endocannabinoids like anandamide, 2-AG right. as well, but more anandamide in that instance. But if you're producing less anandamide than the average population, then you're producing more mm-hmm. cortisol over time. That cortisol seems to stay longer. And when it stays longer in your system, it raises your pH level. So you become more acidic. And when you're more acidic over time, your immune system really doesn't love that too much. So it creates an overactive immune response and it addresses mm-hmm. that. And usually people walk around with inflammation in their joints, not the ones that you mm-hmm. smoke, but the ones that, mm-hmm. you know, your ankles and your knees and all that other stuff. And a lot of that has to do with the deficiency in your own naturally occurring anandamide levels. So if you understand this about yourself and you can subsidize mm-hmm. with THC and certain terpene profiles right. to a certain extent, you can subsidize that. However, the trick is if you take too much THC, now Mm -hmm. it actually turns on the genetic predisposition Mm -hmm. to stress, reactivity, paranoia, all anxiety, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's where people need to find what's right for them because everything is Mm -hmm. a personal experience. And so those people, and this is a great introduction into endocana, is Mm -hmm. how do those people find out that they have those biomarkers? And what does genome testing and, and cannabis, how does that all come to play? And where where did you originally get the frustration yeah. and, the, and the idea to start Endocana Health? Yeah, so like I said, my journey is the therapeutic properties of the cannabis plant. I always mm-hmm. believed in it. And uh, one of the things when I moved to California from Philadelphia 12 mm-hmm. years ago to the Los Angeles area, I got into the dispensary business. And we own and operate five dispensaries. One of the things, you know, look, it was uh, under Prop 215 SB420. It's medical, but I would say I'm being generous. But 80% of our of our patients uh, were users that needed just to get cannabis for. Um, I hate the word recreational adult use. I guess sure because like not sure. really recreational, but yeah. whatever. Uh, yeah. But there were people that actually had legitimate. Uh, you know, illnesses and stuff. Um, so one of the things that I always started seeing is mm. that two people with the same symptomatic condition could consume the same exact cultivar, chemovar uh, strain and have a different experience. And I had a conversation, one of my partners in the shops, he was like, 
man, every single time I consume an indica, like it makes me paranoid. And when I consume sativa, it puts me to sleep. I said, it doesn't make any sense. Interesting. I it never made any sense. I'm like, sativa, yeah. indica, indica's mm-hmm. down and supposed to be sedative. Sativa's mm-hmm. up and all this stuff. But first of all, there's no such thing as indica and sativa anymore. That's probably right. part of it. Second of all, it's a terpene profile. So for mm-hmm. me, that was the thing. So I started thinking that it's got to be the strain names. We're calling these mm-hmm. things, whatever we're calling them, Blue Dream. And how do we even know? Uh, right. So I became obsessed with that. And I um, saw a, a video by a guy named Kevin McKernan, who was one of the mm-hmm. first people to genetically sequence cannabis. Uh, another long story, I went to work with them. And my, my job was to go around and get plant material from different uh, cultivators and bring them to my lab and extract the DNA from them and send it mm-hmm. to a sequencer. So we started creating the first genetic library of cultivars, and uh, which is called Canopedia. So we could see, I can have five samples that are called Blue Dream, and I can genetically see that two of them are pretty much identical, and they match what the Blue Dream profile is. Mm-hmm. Two other ones are related, so they're cousins. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. At least there is some sort of relationship. And the fifth one is not even close, so it's gotta be something else. So that became sort of my first obsession with the plant. But the other part of that is we had a meeting at Harvard Medical School with doctors that were treating kids uh, with epilepsy using CBD. And they were saying, you know, from 100 seizures to zero, but some of them were saying we have some outliers. Uh, either the CBD is not working or the seizures keep coming back. And they had a, a uh, what's called a pharmacogenomic uh, company that's was doing human uh, genetic sequencing specifically for disease states. And... Uh, when we saw that and we sequenced these kids and we looked at their, uh, their genotypes, they had biomarkers that were in common for a certain form of epilepsy with Gervais syndrome. And mm-hmm. we ended up publishing on that. And that sort of was my other light bulb moment. I was like, oh, okay. Well, there was one biomarker, there's probably more. So anyway, they weren't interested in, they want to focus on the plant. Uh, they, were, they don't uh, do human sequencing. So I was lucky to, to grab uh, some scientific resources from them and on also our own. And uh, we launched EndoCanna Health in 2017 with that mission that cannabis is personal. That's the overall mission of the company, to find what works for individuals. And, and the way we went about is, is to try to focus on helping people avoid an adverse event, an adverse effect, or, or a bad experience, quote unquote, with cannabis. And many people don't report that, but you know, it exists. And what a bad experience could be, oh my God, anxiety. I'm getting anxiety or paranoid. Or a bad experience can be worse than that. It depends on the individual, what what you Mm -hmm. consider that. So that's sort of the reason why we started Endo. And the way that it really works is the first six, seven months we did research. So we looked Mm -hmm. at every single nucleotide polymorphism, a SNP, that had a direct or indirect association with your endocannabinoid system. So we're not only looking at cannabis, we're looking at the entire endocannabinoid system that, and things that are directly or indirectly affected. So even your your nutrient deficiencies, your vitamin right. deficiencies, hmm. other things associated with other conditions. So uh, once we had our research and we're looking and we build our artificial intelligence deep learning system that always looks for new studies. Now we went to a company called Illumina to build our custom chip. So we sequenced somewhere around 700,000 SNPs. And uh, the way that you get your DNA uh, profile, it's a simple saliva swab. You swab the inside your cheek, 
put it back in a box, register it because we're HIPAA compliant and uh, all the information is uh, de-identified and then you'll get your report. And the report will show you your, there's probably, I think 162 different reports. And it'll yeah, go down yeah. through symptomatic conditions that people consume cannabis for, anxiety, cognitive function, mood, pain, sleep. It'll even show you predispositions uh, to dependence on other substances like opioid dependence. And then it'll look at, uh, and also dosing uh, protocols, look at your metabolic function and then show you a profile based on what it is potentially that you're expressing, what that form formulation of cannabinoids and terpenes uh, align better with you so you can avoid that adverse experience. And then look into certificates of analysis from different manufacturers. We give you a percentage match, how closely that product matches, and on where you can get that product. So it's, so, it's complete experience from your genetic profile mm -hmm. all the way through to a product. Start and to finish. If you've taken a 23andMe or Ancestry or any of the other DNA uh, tests, you can take your data that belongs to you anyway, and you can upload it to our site, to endodna.com, and you'll get a, an instantaneous report as well, so you don't have to swap. That's excellent. No, that's that's fantastic that you're also working with other companies and other services too. Um, so that that's you're really making it as open as possible. Um, something that I'm I'm really interested in is um, you, you talked about this this diversity between plants and you 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 saying you could have five blue dreams right. um, and some of them may come back different. So let's say you recommend to um, uh, a customer and you say, well, blue dream, you know, in your case, would be effective for X or Y symptom. How much variability does the plant's environment and the plant's phenotype have on its end result? And could, you know, someone's growing technique end up changing completely how, how it works? Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent question. Uh, we do not recommend strains or chemovars or mm. cultivars. We mm. suggest a cannabinoid ratio, percentage of mm. uh, THC and CBD. And I know there's other cannabinoids. We don't focus on them right now. And the reason why is because we made a decision on a company early on, it has to have a peer review reference. So right. when CBG and CBN and CBC, mm -hmm. when they start having peer review references, we'll start adding them in the fold. Right now, we have THC, CBD, and terpene profiles. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's Blue Dream or mm -hmm. Alaskan Thunderfuck or whatever you mm -hmm. want to call <laughs> your strain, which is the most ridiculous name out of all of them for me, mm -hmm. but whatever you want to call your, your uh, strain, for. Uh, it's not about the name, it's about the profile. And you're absolutely mm -hmm. right, there's right. genetic drift in the actual plant. Mm -hmm. And then our understanding of it, there's, mm -hmm. it's so archaic, even, even talking about indicas and sativas and all that other stuff. Yeah. It, I don't know if your audience wants to hear about like my feeling and my, my interpretation they of it. They might have to hear about it because I want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, so here's here's, the history that I understand it to be. I didn't yeah. write this. I read. Tell me, uh, tell me where where did the indicas come from? Where do the sativas come from? Right. How did we get to where exactly. we are today? That's exactly great question. So thank you for setting me up because I was going to talk about <laughs> it anyway. But it's a perfect question that you asked. Um, so the idea of original uh, cultivars, original land race, uh, you know, mm -hmm. strains as you call them. So the original indicas, as far as we know somewhere originates somewhere in south uh um in eastern asia uh like the nepal uh kashmir region that's where we start finding those original land races uh traced back three thousand years or, or more ago uh and 
If you look at the original, uh, you know, strains from the indica-related strains, they grew in a harsh climate. There's four seasons, uh, and these plants grow wide, and they don't grow tall with wider leaves. And uh, what's what scientists were saying, they believe the, the cannabis plant is really interesting because when you stress it, it mm. changes. So it re releases right. its potential, which are those mm. essential oils, the terpenes. It releases right. those terpenes under stress. So the predators that were natural to that to that region, the plant itself evolved to be able to deter the natural mm. predators in that region. And when you look, when you smell the original uh, indica plants, it had a musky, skunky, mm. diesel type of smell. And mm. when you isolate that, it was prevalent in a terpene called myrcene, and right. which is uh, combined with uh, THC, it's a sedative, uh, from mm. as far as we know from all the studies that we've done. Mm -hmm. So the original, Indica plants were heavy in in uh, in that myrcene uh, uh, terpene mm -hmm. profile. The sativa uh, plants, the original ones, they were found more in a sunnier uh, climate, like uh, South Africa with the Durbans, or mm -hmm. Hawaii with the Maui Wowies, and, and mm -hmm. Mexico with Acapulco's, etc. Mm -hmm. And those plants look different. They stretch to the sun. Their leaves are, are thinner and uh, they give off a different smell. Same kind of thing, natural predators, et cetera, but they smell a little fruitier. Uh, hmm. And, they, and there's, a, there's a citrus element to it if, if you trust your nose. So they were prevalent in uh, limonene, which is uh, also, uh, you know, it's associated with the production of dopamine. So it gives you mm -hmm. a lift up as well. So that's how we got the original uh, sativas and indicas as far as, hmm. you know, the science says. But right. what we've done through hundreds of years is we cross and cross and cross and we bred mm -hmm. all that out. It's so hybridized. To get THC. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. the, the funnier thing is somebody said, oh, THCV is an appetite suppressant. Uh, I don't know if it is. I don't know if it sure. isn't. There is no real uh, studies that are associated with that. Anecdotally, they say that it is. One mm -hmm. of the one of the cultivars that was really uh, prevalent in THCV was the original Maui Wowies. And, uh, but we bred all that out. So now they're trying to go back to some sort of seed stock and rebreed them the way they were supposed to be prevalent with those THCVs. Uh, so we can, you know, it's uh, the economy of, uh, of uh, cannabis is really interesting. It's, uh, you know, now it's CBD and uh, well, let's right. do Delta right. 8 and uh, next is gonna be CBC. So instead of looking sure. at the, like the, close to 500 different components of this amazing plan, we're gonna see where the money goes, so. Yeah, and about tracing it back, I mean, that would be brilliant if 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 we could, but the unfortunate part is the black market wasn't known for being very well documented right. for how we've bred all these amazing cultivars that we've cloned and have today. Um, and, you know, we, we also talked about how archaic this indica sativa thing is. Where do you find we may be able to have a solution to that? Because I also see brands, you have to think about it from a company and a business standpoint, some of these brands naming it, um, you know, this is daytime or this is nighttime or blue or red, and they're not as successful. Where, where do you think we could successfully get away from this this indica sativa? Is it just through terpenes or? Well, just do... Uh formulations that are more specific uh, align mm. people with what it is it's it's going to be very very difficult for flour to be uh 
consistent all the time because we talked about genetic drift. But, you know, technology like tissue culture sampling and stuff will at least allow us to have consistency in our cultivation. And, and we'll get there. I mean, genetic editing, whatever people want to point, oh, you know, it's mm-hmm. genetic editing is going to be the future. Big ag is going to take over. There's mm-hmm. going to be the Monsanto type of uh, uh, approach uh, to cultivation. And then you're still going to have, you know, your, your, uh, uh, your fine wine or your your s- sort of cultivator that's cultivating mm-hmm. something that's uh, that's really interesting and high end, mm-hmm. but you're, it's going to become that kind of commoditized uh, crop. So it's going to mm-hmm. be really really difficult for the flower itself to be uh, honed in to a certain point where right. it's specific. But you're going to have to extract for that, and you mm-hmm. have to extract and create those formulations. Like the idea is to go into my vitamin shop or whatever it's called, no matter where I am in the world and be able to get my own formulation, I don't have to worry about it. There's no other substance. Like you go into a supplement store, you're gonna get a supplement, you know that supplement, Mm -hmm. you look at the ingredients, it says what it is, you don't have to Mm -hmm. question it. Why do we have to question what's on the what's in the ingredients right. of you know our other supplement, which is cannabis related? It mm-hmm. makes no sense. So the way to get out of the dark ages is mm-hmm. to end prohibition, to create standards uh, for testing, uh, for for cultivation, for everything, and then the the people will feel comfortable going into a store, whether it's a dispensary or whether it's a pharmacy, mm-hmm. however else you're going to get your your medicine and then uh, or your therapeutic supplement and then mm-hmm. uh, be consistent no matter where it is. So mm-hmm. I, that's kind of what I think the future is going to hold for us. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I, I hope we, we start to move again into that more um, personalized approach. And like you said, moving maybe to- more towards a medical model is that I'm looking to help with X or Y ailment. Then with enough data, with enough research, we can have, you know, a formulation that would be, you know, specifically work for that. Um, something that I find interesting is that, you know, for me, pinene um, is something that keeps me refreshed, awake. It's a nice, yes. you could call it a sativa-esque if you want to go that route. But I've talked to someone else that said pinene is really sedating for him. Why is it that terpenes interact with us differently? Um, it's those those biomarkers you mentioned? It's exactly it. It's that. As far as we know, and as far as all the research has shown, it is the combination of several different factors. Method of consumption, which is Mm -hmm. your metabolic function, Mm -hmm. your predisposition to these biomarkers, as you said, and uh, uh, and also your the amount that you consume uh, mm-hmm. the milligrams and all, all that other stuff. So think about it this way: there's a gene called COMT, C O M T. They nickname it the warrior warrior gene. So depending okay. on where you are on that side of the biomarker, you can be the one that's the glasses half full or glasses mm-hmm. half empty. So mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of athletes uh, that I, I deal with. So a lot of them are type A, you know, they're, they're warrior mindset. They have the, the mm-hmm. COM-T gene and, you know, there's other people that are much more in a, on the mood depressive side. Mm-hmm. But if those people consume, as we would refer to a, a, a really heavy sativa dominant hybrid with, mm-hmm. a, with as you mentioned, alpha pinene or, mm-hmm. or, uh, mm-hmm. or limonene or, or things of that nature. They start getting that that feeling of stress reactivity, that that mm. feeling of anxiety and stress because right. they already have that predisposition. And what they're doing is they're turning that switch on. And uh, I'll tell you a story. I have a friend of mine who was going through a really bad divorce, and uh, he was uh, laying in bed, and he was like, 
smoking cannabis all uh, the whole time. And then he called me up. He's like, dude, you told me that it's supposed to make me feel better. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't, I'm not sure I actually told you that, but I'm like, well, yeah. what do you, what are you putting in your body? What are you, what are you smoking? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, duh, that's the first thing you should do is know what you're putting mm-hmm. in your body. Mm-hmm. Do you take anything else without knowing? No, you look and see what you're putting in your body. Uh, mm-hmm. Find the packaging. You found the packaging. I'm like, oh, well, it's a very, very indica dominant, like everything. And I, and I knew right. his DNA profile because we went over this mm-hmm. and he was on the other side. So everything that he was consuming was triggering his depressive mood uh, predisposition. Mm-hmm. So you have... Uh, also, the FA gene, the COMT gene, mm-hmm. uh, you have all these other CNR1, which is the uh, cannab- uh, cannabis uh, cannabinoid receptor 1 gene. All these uh, uh, genotypes were associated with everything that he was consumed that was wrong for him. And the high THC, so it was making him feel worse the whole time. And when he switched his protocol to a much more balanced uh, one-to-one, less THC, more CBD, but he switched his terpene profile around completely. So that that combination of cannabinoids, terpenes with your own DNA, think about it this way, the DNA of the plant needs to match with your DNA to have an optimal experience. And at the right. very least, at the very least, because it, it's very, preliminary right now we're getting mm-hmm. anecdotal research there's not a lot of clinical studies on this but you know we're, we're doing some of them we're involved in some of them so at the very least what you want to do is avoid that sharp corner just avoid mm-hmm. the thing that you actually know mm-hmm. that will most likely be triggered if you consume something that's not aligned to you hmm. and i think a lot of cannabis consumers have hit that point where they've they've tried something and then they go whoa 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 that doesn't work with me for whatever reason, but they don't have the data to know why. Um, Especially, you know, when when we're in the age still, especially in a lot of parts of the states um, where it's 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 not, oh, what what are you smoking? Is it um, is it a blue dream or a pink cushion? It's just it's just cannabis. They they don't know. (laughs) They don't know where it came from, how it was grown, the the lineage. So I think part of that is going to be, you know, with legalization and with more standardization coming. Um, which which I'm excited for. Um, one of the things I want to touch on um, that you mentioned is that, that, you know, I think cannabis can be a really important tool for some people. Um, and it should be viewed as a tool in someone's toolkit when they're looking at, you know, a wholly integrative health approach. So for you, where do you see cannabis comes into play versus things like um, diet and nutrition and finding out um, intolerances and, you know, how, how important it is and, and, and how can we kind of hone in on, on the whole approach? I'm going to answer the question this way. So I believe and science has shown that cannabis used to be part of our daily diets prior mm. to prohibition. Even without us consuming it, like smoking, you know, cannabis mm. uh, during the, the jazz era and all that stuff, mm-hmm. the animals, it would grow. The animals would eat it. It would be in our food supply and it would be in our water supply. It would be in the fertilizer for the foods that we grow. Mm-hmm. And there is real good evidence to show that the deficiencies that we are creating in our own endogenous and the cannabinoids are on par with prohibition. So as soon as we started not allowing this amazing crop to be part of our daily uh, you know, dietary intake in some level or another, uh, we started developing these deficiencies. These deficiencies led to these predispositions being expressed in different disease states. So mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that cannabis was going to be 
probably a two-fold approach and a parallel path. The first one is going to be your supplement approach. So you and I are both going to, as, as I do on a daily basis, I take my multivitamin, I take my vitamin D, I take my cannabinoid personal formulation for me. It's my supplement. That's it. Mm -hmm. It's my daytime supplement. That's what I do. It's not about getting high. It's about right. subsidizing what I naturally may be lacking. Uh, the second thing is you're going to have a medicinal path. But the medicinal path, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever, however you connect to it, it's going to be led by pharma and the medical industry. Pharma mm -hmm. is going to take isolated components of this plant. They're going to go through their proper channels of right. getting IP on those components uh, for their methods, and they're going to start focusing on therapy specific to very, very, very specific disease states. The way that uh, JW, uh, GW Pharmaceuticals showed the world what they can do with the Epidiolex. They also have uh, Sativax and uh, Jazz uh, Pharmaceuticals acquire them for a reason. You know, they're, this is, they're showing you they're showing you the future. The future is gonna be mm -hmm. these isolated components. And there's there's a tremendous amount uh, of money to be made and it'll help a lot of people. I don't vilify Big Pharma like with a with a broad mm -hmm. brush. They've they mm -hmm. tried and they and in the United States we have this for-profit kind of system. So it feeds the beast over and over and over. Uh, Nothing you can do about it. It is what it is, but that's what I think that they're going to be that mm -hmm. dual path with it, the supplement and the, the medical route. That, that's a such a great answer. Um, but it, it arises another question in me where, you know, I, I wholly think that whole plant, um, you know, extracts are going to be a lot more effective than, than isolate. But how do you get a, a whole plant extract that's subject to variability? How do you get that FD, FDA approved? And how do you how do you say that this consistently is going to be able to help this this condition you, you don't right <laughs> you, you just don't it's it's almost impossible i mean they they've mm. tried i don't think there's ever been a conglomerate of different components in any uh, medicine that's gone through an fda process and been approved there's too much variability so they have they have things like, I'll give you an example. They have things like FDA approved medical food products. So these products have gone through an FDA approval process. They're sort of supplements, right? But it's another category of products. It's a supplement that has several different components in it, mm -hmm. not 400, but several. Mm -hmm. And they've mm -hmm. done clinical studies on those components and they put them in a category that is FDA supported and approved. They followed the right protocol for this medical food product. So that's a really good path that's been laid mm -hmm. out for the cannabis industry. If we want to look at supplements, there are specific two conditions. And when I talk about conditions, it can be like osteoporosis or back pain. It doesn't have to be a uh, it doesn't have to be a diagnostic disease. Right. It can be right. for anxiety, which I think may mm -hmm. be a diagnostic. But let's say stress or mood. Mm -hmm. Now you have a combination of those components that you can mm -hmm. go through and get those approved. So I definitely think there's a path for that. I just don't think that, uh, you know, uh, smoking uh, a joint is ever going to be approved by the FDA for any <laughs> kind of disease. As much as we hope and, and pray yeah. and, and rally, it's just not going to happen. I, I don't think so either. Um, I would also argue that, you know, even new consumers now um, don't really know how to roll joints if you just started <laughs> consuming cannabis. So I think it's funny that, correct. you know, 
will we even be smoking joints in, in 10, 20 years, new consumers? And what do those new consumers look like? Um, do you think we're going to go the beverage route, the, the, the vaporization route? Like, what, what does this look like, do you think? I mean, everybody, there's crystal ball. I have no idea, uh, but I'll, sure. I'll make my predictions. So beverages are here. I just don't see beverages as something mm-hmm. that is going to be uh, a long haul because there's so many variabilities to the way we metabolize. Anything goes to your liver is right. problematic for certain people. Okay, yeah. I believe mm-hmm. if if there is a path and and we've shown something that's maybe uh, workable is mm-hmm. the supplement model. So capsules, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you have capsules, you have uh, you have uh, tinctures, you have mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that are specific to a. Uh, a symptomatic condition. I believe that's probably the most consistent way to be able to uh, provide a, a product. Uh, it seems to me that edibles like gummies are a big uh, market right now. Yeah. However, I've, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me personally mm-hmm. and to us as a company ancillarily that had an awful experience with the edible. Then, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's obvious like mm-hmm. it's so obvious to me that this is a landmine that is about to be stepped on by so many people because you right. have you have a trifecta of several different factors. Number mm-hmm. one, we all metabolize differently, and I talked about uh, there's these uh, genes that are called cytochrome P450 markers. Mm-hmm. So cytochrome P450 mm-hmm. produces enzymes for us to metabolize different things, all kinds, the food that we eat, all kinds. But specifically in cannabis, there is CYP2C9 that metabolite produces enzyme that metabolizes THC. That's one. Number two, when we consume cannabis, THC specifically, CBD also has an enzyme, but your liver converts THC, as you know, and your audience may know, to 11-oxyhydroxide, delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, Mm -hmm. which can be five to 50 times more powerful when it has the receptor binding to your CB1 receptor Mm -hmm. after it goes through your liver. So first pass, conversion, receptor binding. Okay, so this can happen this way. Number one, you can have a very slow onset. So somebody, oh, I don't feel anything, I don't feel it, let me take another, let me take another, and then it, it it's on. Number two, you have your maybe a poor metabolizer through your digestive mm. system. So not right. only are you getting that conversion, but you're also getting the poor metabolizer where you have a very powerful onset. And the third could be a predisposition to a genetic uh, uh, variance, as you were uh, saying, for anxiety, psychosis. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever heard about it in my life, ever, until last maybe three, right. four years mm-hmm. where people are starting to have psychotic episodes. When I was a kid and somebody freaks out on weed, I'm like, breathe through it, man. It's your joint. What, what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. But I've had... People seriously get hospitalized uh, because they had a predisposition. They took too much THC and all, and they ate an edible. And you know, and the fourth thing that I didn't mention that much is drug interaction. So some Mm -hmm. people don't understand that when they take prescription medication, cannabinoids interact with their prescription medications. And some of them can be inducers, some can be inhibitors. And you have to be really aware. Uh, by the mm-hmm. way, endo uh, endo DNA shows if you we have a drug to drug interaction database as well uh, to show you if you have 
any interactions between medications, but these are all things that people need to be aware of. So to me, if you can avoid your first pass as a novice consumer right. or somebody's kind of curious or you know, uh, grandma uh, who's consumed cannabis 50 years ago, just mm-hmm. don't let, let that not be your first way to mm-hmm. consume cannabis uh, mm-hmm. because you may not have a positive experience. It's so much less predictable. And my, and here's where it gets frustrating is that inhalation of anything that's heated can also has, have negative health consequences. So it's this really tough teeter-totter of how do you, how do you make this um, accessible and healthy and how do you make this a part of someone's you know, regular, um, like you said, supplement stack? Um, I, I would say, here's, here's another question, um, is do, do terpenes get metabolized and exert the same effect when they're ingested as they do inhaled? Is it different? Yeah, uh, great question. So the studies have shown that when you, sm- when you smoke a joint, when you actually mm-hmm. decarboxylate your cannabis, it decarboxylate a certain temperature, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somewhere around 280 to 320 degrees, it burns evenly uh, the entire, and I know your flame is much higher than that, but as you're sure. consuming it, it, that's the temperature that science has shown that it, it sort of converts mm-hmm. and decarboxylates. All those um, terpenes and everything that's in that that plant that you're consuming now is converting at the same exact temperature at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. When you're putting in a vape, uh, what what's happening is you have very little control over the heating mechanism and and the coils and all the other stuff that goes with sure. it. So certain terpenes convert to different substances at different temperatures mm-hmm. and certain ones dissipate altogether. Mm-hmm. So you have very little control over vaporizing mm-hmm. unless you have a really good battery that controls the temperature and mm-hmm. even then, you know, your coils and all that stuff. It's not really my expertise, but I've heard uh, I've heard a lot of uh, people who is their expertise who talk about that, and we've looked at because uh, we we've make formulations, we have IP in certain formulations, and we did testing in Israel to see how our formulations work in vapes and work in mm. in different formulations. And if you keep the temperature consistent, you don't have the uh, dissipation. But as mm. soon as the temperature starts going up, you're burning them off. And you're also right. converting some of them. So uh, oral consumption sublingually, probably uh, uh, through your uh, buccal buccal cavity, through mm-hmm. your w- which is sublingual is under your tongue, and buccal is uh, where your sort of uh, uh, jaw line is. You have different cavities, and they go through your blood-brain barrier, not as fast as inhaling it, but m- different than than eating it and uh, you know going through your first pass. I think many people don't know how to consume a uh, sublingual. I, mm-hmm. I see this all the time with people. They'll mm-hmm. take a, you know, they'll take a spray or they'll take a, uh, a dropper, they'll hold it in their tongue for five seconds and they swallow it. I'm like, yeah, well, no. what defeats the whole purpose <laughs> of getting <laughs> yeah. a sublingual? I mean, the, uh, why don't you just swallow it then? It doesn't make right, any sense. Right. So I, I think it's a, a little bit of use error, but Long-winded way of saying, I believe that if if you're gonna take something sublingually, and there are mm-hmm. capsules and stuff that are that are time release that that have uh, mm. they're able to be dissolved and metabolized prior mm. to getting to your first pass. There is mm. nano. There's all different kind of technology, which is exciting. Yeah. It, it's so amazing to me. You know, we've been called stoners for so long. Oh, lazy <laughs> stoners. 
I right. haven't seen, like where we came from in the last 10, 20 years, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. science, I've seen the, the most brilliant people in the world create some mm -hmm. of the most amazing things in an escalated way. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they're consumers of cannabis. So, you know, that goes to mm -hmm. show you. I, I I always there, there's a joke that I I never forgot, which was you know put four guys in a room with some cannabis with no way to smoke it, and they'll find a way. And <laughs> that true? And now take these groups of people that are frustrated about cannabis onset time, and now they're going to come up with nano emulsified formulations right. and beverages and all these brand new innovations. I I I think it's really fascinating. I think we we haven't even scratched the surface on on what's Agreed. to come. Um, and if I were someone and I couldn't just use my nose and I wanted to get a whole test done to find an, an integrative approach to cannabis, how do I get started? Well, obviously we're big believers of your genetics would be the first thing. And, and just in general, mm -hmm. endoDNA, you can go to endoDNA.com and get a kit or upload your, your results, uh, name the companies and can of help, but their website is endoDNA.com. And the reason why I believe in this is it's your blueprint. Mm -hmm. It's with everything you do. And I, as I said, if, the, if you want to biohack yourself in any way, mm -hmm. and if you really want to look to see what's personal to you in everything you do, you should start with what your genetic predisposition are. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not the end all because you still have to do the loop and the feedback loop, which is your epigenetic. You start with your DNA, you have your, uh, you have your suggested uh, profile of whatever formulation that is, mm -hmm. you consume your formulation. One of the things that we have is the concierge service. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we would do is we'll follow up with you, you complete your health profile. How is that working for you? We'll have somebody who's trained to ask you specific questions. Okay, this brand, and maybe make different suggestions along within the confines of your uh, of your genetic uh, profile. Mm -hmm. And then when you have those those areas that are more what we call endo line or genetically aligned to you, you know which which products are more uh, personalized to you. And what a lot of people do, studies have shown it takes four to eight different products for somebody to find what works for them. Right. But the biggest challenge is you did your four, let's say it's four, mm -hmm. and now you found yours. Well, how are you gonna guarantee you're gonna find it again? And then what if within those four, right. you had a gummy that sent you into, oh my God, my heart's pounding. You may never go back to the devil's lettuce again. Mm -hmm. You know, so this is, this is what we're trying to solve. And, mm -hmm. and we invite everybody, I mean, we want the manufacturers, we want uh, the cultivators, we want uh, everybody that's in this industry because we want to provide this feedback to everybody. And let's get out of the dark ages and let's uh, use science to help guide people into a positive experience. And the one thing that I think what we used to do is shame people. Uh, oh, you're, you're weak, you can't handle your weed. Yeah, what, yeah. I smoke two blunts, you know? So you gotta, you got to be respectful, and, and too many people don't talk about mm. that they have these experiences. They're just like, "Oh, right. you know, cannabis is not for me." Why? Well, back in college, <laughs> I smoked a joint, yeah. and I was climbing the roof, and yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. you know, exactly, it's that. What? What was it? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Or, or it was, um, you know, what was your first cannabis experiences? Oh, someone loaded a, a two gram bong hit with with Keef, uh, you know, topped <laughs> off, and then you know, and then they go, oh, "It's not for me. It didn't." didn't work for me so exactly hopefully we're nicer to new users going forward <laughs> uh, 
Um, and if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? You have a podcast too, right? I do. Yeah. It's called everything is personal mm. because everything is personal <laughs> and uh, you can find that podcast wherever you get podcasts uh, on Instagram and all the other ones. I'm Len, L-E-N, May, M-A-Y, mm -hmm. uh, Len May DNA is on Instagram. Mm. So you can find me there and Twitter and Facebook and mm -hmm. LinkedIn and wherever else. And, and you can and, argue with us on Clubhouse too. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I'll get I get invited. Clubhouse is an interesting thing for me, but yeah, yeah. you can definitely. Uh, I try to I try to come on once in a while, but it's it's a little bit frustrating for me. So, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. No, <laughs> no need to explain. Well, Len, it's it's been a pleasure having you on. I I really appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it.